Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming and giving me the opportunity to relate to you something that is extremely sensitive in our church. It, uh, it took me some while before I decided to do this because, uh, but the reason that I went forward to it because there are so many church members that are confused. They don't know what side to take. Each side claims to have the truth. And yet, the result is diametrically opposed to each other. And so therefore I decided to ask the Lord to help me to clarify some of those issues so that you can also help others and at the same time, you can express your concern to the leadership of the division and the general, general conference. Because unless you take action, nothing coached, no, nothing will change. See? They said, oh yeah, you, you know, the, the scholars, the, the people there high up, have to take the initiative. No. Only when the grassroots see it and run with this, things will be the same and get down, down, down. So therefore, because of the importance here, I think we need to ask the Lord specially to guide us. And let us pray. And during this presentation, pray for me too. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the time that we can spend here to deal with the truth as it is in Jesus, to deal with the interpretation of the Bible, and the way that we interpret the Bible affects our destiny in the future. Help us, therefore, and send the Holy Spirit Anoint my lips that whatever I say may be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So this is done the third in a series on the crisis of authority in the SDA church. The first one dealt with the development, historical development. The second one dealt with the misinterpretation of the spirit of prophecy. And the third one that I'm now addressing is the misuse of the Bible in the crisis of authority in the SA church. We go back now to the year 2010 at the general conference. And at that time there was a request made for an official church study on ordination. It was not a motion, but just a request. The leaders reflected upon it, and the General Conference Administration informed the session of its commitment, quote, to establish a process to review the subject of ordination and will report back to the annual council during this quinquennium, the period of 2010 to 2015. 
And there it started. They felt now, after 40 years, the time has come to focus on the theology of ordination. It was, quote, an attempt to bring about an understanding of what a theology of ordination was, end quote. So that was nice. And uh, then the General Conference formed a committee. And that committee functioned for two years, 2013 to 2014. It's called TOSC, or the Theology of Ordination Study Committee. Uh, it uh, cost a lot of money, but the brethren felt it is now time to do this. And so its membership included more than 100 persons of both genders, male, female, serving the church as theologians, pastors, administrators, and laypersons, mostly from the North American division. It met two times in 2013 and two times in 2014. Now, why is the majority of North America? Because it takes a lot of time. If you get all the equal representation of all the, all the divisions, can you imagine four times round trip, you know, 20 people from South Africa, 20 people from Australia, whatever. This is an incredible sum of money. So they felt that this is, you know, and this was not a committee that was going to decide. It was simply revealing what they from their study concluded. And what are now the results of the Theology of Ordination Study Committee? The disagreement were very, very clear. The study committee did not agree on a biblical position, even if that was one of the assignments, or Ellen G. White councils, or whether or not ministerial ordination should include male or female. So we didn't agree on that. It was inconclusive on ordination, and yet that was its purpose. So we realized that it is not easy. However, there were some agreements. Agreements. It did reach a high degree of accord concerning a biblical theology of ordination. It agreed about ordination as a practice in the early church in the New Testament. So at least they say it is biblical. And they concluded, one, that, quote, Seventh-day Adventists understand ordination in a biblical sense as the action of the church in, public, in publicly recognizing those whom the Lord has called and equipped for local and global church ministry. Keep in mind, it is not simply a matter of one division, but ordination in our church, if you are ordained here, it is valid all over the world. And so therefore we have to be very, very careful if we allow it in one place, because in another place it doesn't allow it. If the person travels there, by virtue of the ordination, the person can do the ministry that the pastor should do. Secondly, that quote, without ordination, while ordination contributes the church's order, 
it is neither conveys a special qualities to the person nor introduces a kingly hierarchy within the faith community. So keep in mind, it doesn't affect the person's holiness or whatever. Now this is totally different from the Catholic Church. If you are ordained, no matter what, no matter what you sin or not or whatever, you are there, the church representatives of the holy aspects of the communion and all of the other things. But to us, it doesn't give you, it is simply a function and not a special holiness or hierarchy that you are now better than others, higher than others, more authority over others. No. So we agreed on those two points. Now the result of task were three positions or ordination. The position number one, it doesn't seem to come up on the slides, but it's said simply a matter of ordination is only for men and not for women. Position number two, women ministers may be ordained according to the will of the various entities responsible for hiring pastors. So, you can go ahead. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. Uh, it's clear from our study of the Bible that you can go ahead and ordain women. Then, number three, it's a compromise between position number one and position number two. It supports the headship or leadership of the man in the home and the church. But, in special situations, exceptions can be made for women to be ordained. This decision should be left to the leadership at the proper level to determine whether ordination, quote, may be appropriate for their area or their region, end quote. So here are the three positions. And so the General Conference decided to present those three positions to the world church, let them vote, and whatever the consequences from the vote, we will go with this. And as a result, of course, uh, we see that uh, the task report presented was at, at the 2014 annual council. And this report included three theological and hermeneutical reasons for conclusions on each position. The task suggested three ways forward, but did not make a consensus recommendation concerning the practice of ordination in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So here are the three positions, and let us vote and see which one prevails. And of course, uh, it was not allowed for the division, because that is what the more North American division requested, whether we can go along only we and the rest of the world if they are not ready they don't need to do it and of course that position was defeated so today still no ordinations throughout the world of course in this division very soon they continue to do it anyway and that is now the condition how do we get those conferences or unions or decisions that want to go ahead anyway, how do we get them to comply? And they have now worked for three years 
and still have not been exceeded, succeeded in this. So here we concluded then that the ordination issue comes down to, quote, how should we interpret the Bible, end quote. Because each position said we are based on the Bible. And therefore we can go ahead. So how do we interpret the Bible? This is the issue that divides us. Now let's go to the Bible and what the Bible says about the future of the church. There is a prophecy of the coming apostasy. And that is in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter by Paul. Let no man deceive you by any means. For the day, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return, shall not come. Except there comes a falling away first. And the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So here then is the man of sin, of iniquity, coming up. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of its mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Chapter 2, verse 3, 7 and 8. And we know that uh, the mystery was already at work, but gradually it gets worse and worse and worse, especially with Constantine. When Constantine became favorable to Christians, he put his destiny specifically with the Catholic body of Christians. Not the other Christians, but the Catholic body of Christians. And soon apostate principles came in, apostate practices, and the church really went downhill. And that continues, not quickly overnight, but over the centuries and centuries and centuries, until it came onto its height during the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages. Now let us look here at the Roman Catholic Church and Bible interpretation. Because here you can see here the subtleness and the destructiveness of this man of sin. The Roman Catholic Church and Bible interpretation. Interpreters in the Middle Ages saw a multiplicity of meaning in the text. So every text of the Bible had several meanings. They saw that the text was subject to a fourfold interpretation. So every text could have four different meanings. The interpretation could have a literal, an allegorical, a moral, or an anagogical meaning. Now for some of you, you know, your mind start to spin. What does it all mean? So my wife said, you know, make it practical, make it practical. It's always good to have a good wife beside you. So here then, we came. The literal is the plain meaning. The meaning of the text when you read it immediately. The allegorical shows what a person's, what person had to believe. Then the moral meaning is that tells me what you have to do. And the anagogical sense is what they are to hope for. This fourfold method of inter interpreting the text 
had a confusing influence on the, un- on the believers and took away the certainty of the meaning of the text in the Bible. Because if one doesn't work, then you take the other one and take another one. And then so, keep in mind. So as a result, during the ref- close to before the Protestant Reformation, there was a total confusion what the Bible means. So let us now use the fourfold interpretation of the Sabbath. What do we say? The literal interpretation of the Sabbath is a rest on the seventh day. The allegorical shows that we are to believe at least in a spiritual rest. The moral meaning is we must rest one day out of seven. And finally, the anagogical sense symbolizes the future millennium. And the future millennium, there we will rest on the seventh day. So, what are the consequences? The fourfold method of looking at the Sabbath confuses people about the need to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Can you imagine if every text has so many meanings? It took away the power of the Gospel and the Bible. And so that was at the beginning of the Reformation. And now you can see here the contribution of the Reformation that few people understand. Our Protestant heritage, and keep in mind, friends, that Seventh-day Adventists are continuing the Protestant Reformation. But you have to keep in mind, what is that heritage? Our Protestant heritage? The principles of the Bible interpretation by the Reformers removed the uncertainty and made the Bible powerful. First of all, the Bible became now the norm for faith and authority. So in other words, the Bible and the Bible only is a norm. Number two, the Bible is an infallible revelation of propositional truth. Propositions, for example, the Ten Commandments. Ten propositions. You shall not do this, 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 this. And those propositions are infallible. Prayer is indispensable. The Bible is clear and sufficient. See, before that, oh yeah, you know, if you have the education, if you went to a seminary, to a university, if you had a priest or an abbot or a cardinal or a bishop, then you could explain it. No, the reform said it is clear and sufficient. See, for salvation. You don't need anybody else to explain it. And fed, and this was really a bombshell, interpretation for everyone. So no matter whether you are a farmer, a pharmacist, a priest, a scholar, the Pope, everyone, even a cowboy, if they have access to the text, they can interpret it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So you can see what a liberation that cost to the people. And before that, only the educated. Then, 
6. Focus on the single literal sense of the text, not the allegorical or mystical sense. Clear. Don't speculate. If you play the plain reading, take the interpretation and not moralize this and do all kinds of other things with the text. And of course, that did away with the fourfold interpretation of the text, and that gave strength to the people. Seven, Bible stories are accurate history. Then, uh, number eight is a Christ-centered approach to the Bible. So in other words, the Bible reveals Christ, and all the text that you see there, think about it. What does it reveal about Christ? The various personalities in the Bible, what does it, what do they reveal about Christ? Then scripture is its own interpreter. What does it mean? You don't need to take a whole course of how to interpret the Bible. You don't need to read books how to interpret the Bible. You go to the Bible and see how the Bible interprets itself and there you get the rules and principles how to interpret the Bible. And so what does it do? It causes you to really to go down to this, to the Bible. Then the analogy of scripture principle, which means comparing scripture with scripture, and typology. So if you don't understand a certain passage of the Bible, then you go to other passages that are clear and then compare scripture after scripture. And then the clearer passages reveal what is the unclear. And then the necessity of the Holy Spirit in the Bible study. So those 11 principles have been communicated from generation to generation and have also been adopted by the Adventist pioneers. And, uh, and there was uh, one individual who formulated this in a very nice uh, single set of rules. What about the great Advent movement of the 1840s on interpreting the Bible? So we jump 300 years in the future. And what did the other Adventist and William Miller advocate? Here it is. Quote, and you find this in Great Controversy, page 335. Quote, the word of God was the only testimony accepted by the preachers of the Advent truth. The Bible and the Bible only was their watchword. See, that is a genius of the Advent movement. Because they confined themselves to the Bible specifically, that was the key to their success. And the principles of how to interpret the Bible are explained in William Miller's Rules of Bible Interpretation. He wrote them up on a, for, on a piece of paper, two sides, two pages. And uh, if you want to define them here, I wrote a book about the foundations of the Seventh-day Adventist message and mission. And there you see that William Miller's Rules of Bible Interpretation are the foundation of our movement. And at the end there, on those pages, you find then very clearly those, those principles. Now, whom among this audience has read those rules of William Miller's principles of interpretation. One person, two persons, praise the Lord. But what about the rest? 
You know, this is the foundation of studying the Bible. So maybe you have to try to find out where you can get them. Personally, the only book is the book that I wrote. But uh, then we continue. What is the Adventist pioneers on Bible interpretation, on the interpretation of the Bible? Quote, we in 1844 took the position that the Bible and the Bible only was to be our guide and we are never to depart from this position. You find this in Councils to Writers and Editors, page 145. Now what does the spirit of prophecy say about William Miller's rules of interpretation? How, val how valuable are they? And here they say something here. Quote, those who are engaged in proclaiming the third angel's message are seeking, searching the scriptures upon the same plan that Father Miller adopted. In the little book entitled Views of Prophecies and Prophetic Chronology, Father Miller gives the following simple but intelligent and important rules for Bible study. See here? Simple, intelligent, important rules for not only the study, but also the interpretation of the Bible. That's from the Review and Herald, November 25, 1884. Then Ellen White selects some of those rules, especially endorses them. Now, in the beginning you have the general rules, in the second part, how to interpret the prophecy. And perhaps we should go back and review how we interpret Daniel and Revelation to catch the secret of the interpretation of prophecy. Number one, every word must have its proper bearing on the subject presented in the Bible. See, every word, but not only the word, all scripture is necessary and may be understood by diligent application and study. So what you see now here is that you, if you read a passage, the each word, the immediate context is important, but that's not enough to con conclude certain doctrines or teachings. You have also to look at in the whole Bible. So the word and the larger context of the whole Bible. And that, if you take those two together, then you can achieve at the right interpretation. And then here, number three, nothing revealed in scripture can or will be hid from those who ask in faith, not wavering. See, so if you don't have faith, don't expect to come to a proper conclusion. You must have faith and not wavering. Plead with the Lord. That's Bible study. That's what our early pioneers did. And that is how we came to our teachings. Now number four. What Ellen White endorses. This is crucial. Understand doctrine. Teaching. Bring all the scriptures together upon the subject that you wish to know. Then let every word have its proper influence. And if you can form your theory without any contradiction... You cannot be in error. See here? 
all the scriptures and again every word and if your theory or doctrine or teaching fits all the those texts that you found and they're all in harmony you got it see how simple it is very simple you don't need to go to university or seminary to understand that one and now we're number five scripture must be its own expositor you know you find it in the scripture since it is a rule of itself if I depend on a teacher to expound to me and he should guess at its meaning or desire to have it so on account of his sectarian creed or to be thought wise then his guessing desire creed or wisdom is my rule and not the Bible see how simple it is scripture its own expositor of course this requires a lot of Bible study from yourself because it doesn't come quickly if you lay in a lazy boy's chair with your eyes closed no you better sit up straight by the table and open the Bible or in concordance because William Miller had the Bible the magical marginal references and the concordance and that's how he went through the Bible. So she endorses the rules. Quote, the above is a portion of those rules. And in our study of the Bible, we shall all do well to heed the principles sent forth. Yes, Review and Herald, November 25, 1884. And so, friends... I would advise you to get as soon as possible an insight and you may find them on the web. Search and download them. Pray about it. And see how easy those rules are for interpretation. Now what is the SD position on inter interpreting the Bible today? Because our church has not promoted William Miller's rules. So what do we now today refer to all the time? Methods of Bible study. That is the Rio document. That is not a document of two pages, but eight pages developed by learned men and scholars. And I tell you, it is a good document. What does it do? Quote, Methods of Bible study document is the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventist Executive Committee in 1989 at the Annual Council voted this document for the Church. Now what is the Executive Committee? It's the committee that works between the two sessions. You have then 2010, 2015, and then in between you have the Executive Committee that in spring and the fall comes together and made recommendations. Now, what does it do? It promotes the historical grammatical method and warns against, quote, the historical critical method of the Bible study. Quote, even a modified use of this method that retains the principle of criticism which subordinates the Bible to human reason is unacceptable to Seventh-day Adventists. End quote. 
So why did the brethren now decided to publish this? Because of the inroads of critical approaches to the Bible. And they wanted to have the, the church to protect against those methods by publishing this. Then the Bible is, and the document affirms this, it says the Bible is, quote, the clear, infallible revelation of God's will and his salvation. The Bible is the word of God and it alone is the standard by which all teachings and experiences must be tested, end quote. So again, this affirms the Bible and the Bible only. So no matter what you study, what you incorporate in your studies, the Bible should be the final authority. And so it is a good document, but spelled out because things have developed over the years, uh, more sophisticated uh, uh, principles have been discovered and so therefore we publish this. <coughs> so the method of Bible study indicates how to do the Bible study. It deals with the presuppositions, principles and methods. Here is the quote in the beginning. This statement is addressed to all members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church with the purpose of providing guidelines of how to study the Bible, both the trained biblical scholars and others. Whoever in this group read this document? Is there one person? What about the rest? Now probably it is that the church has not promoted this. But if the church has not promoted this, the church made a stand, but even if leadership has failed to stress this. You have a pastor in the church. Pastor represents the church. So you can ask your pastor, please provide for us this material. Amen. I don't want to burden your pastor with all kinds of assignments, but this is an important assignment. You know? And if you read it, and if there are questions or whatever, just ask us. And we can try to explain it. So keep in mind, friends, that this is now our position today. It explains more fully what William Miller had in two pages. But it's an excellent presentation. So here then, it's important to stress that these guidelines of interpretation are for all people. This perspective is endorsed by Ellen White. What does he say? Quote, the Bible was written for the common people as well as for the scholars and is within the comprehension of all councils to Sabbath school work, page 23. But she continues, quote, the Bible with its precious gems of truth was not written for the scholar alone. On the contrary, it was designed for the common people. And the interpretation given by the common people, when aided by the Holy Spirit, accords best 
with the truth as it is in Jesus. End quote. And that's what she said. We have to present in our Bible studies the truth as it is in Jesus. Testimonies, volume 5, page 331. And so you can see what a fantastic thing it is that we as members can do those things. Now, we have here this general conference committee, and I was one of the members, and my wife. But every division, and how many divisions do we have? Thirteen. Every division established their own theology of ordination committee. And so parallel to what we did there in Washington, D.C., it happens all over the world. So the North American Division Theology of Our Nation Committee decided, this is a nice document, but we have to adapt this document a little. So what is now the adaption? Why? Why was it not sufficient? Why is William Miller's rules still valid for us? Why? So here, let's see. The reason for the adaptation. Quote, the methods of Bible study document was written and voted 27 years ago. And as such does not address the whole new movement in biblical study, which the last 20 years have seen. So there's all kind of scholars came from all kind of new ideas up about the Bible. And the document methods in Bible study did not address those things. So therefore, we have to make some adapt adaptations. <coughs> Focus of the adaptation. What needs to be expressed there? North American Division committees decided. Thought inspiration, we don't believe in verbal inspiration. Verbal inspiration is that every letter is dictated by, by, by the Lord. Now, you may express that, I mean, but we have never, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has never adopted verbal inspiration that every word is inspired. No, the persons, the, the apostles are, the prophets are inspired, but not every word that they read, wrote. And we have to consider that the Bible is both divine and human. Now, if it is a human document also, then we have to be very careful if we use the word infallibility, because humans make all kinds of mistakes. See where it is going? So the next one here, historical approach. Use of extra or non-biblical historical and cultural sources to understand the text and grammar and sentence construction of the document. And number three is, affirms three authorities. Then in our North American committee. The authority of the Bible, writings of Ellen White, and the 28 fundamental beliefs. And that's a good point. <coughs> You know, we have, need to have some controlling influences of the Bible, the writings of Ellen White, and the fundamental beliefs. Now, in regard to the extra-biblical sources and historical sources, there is where the problems start to come up. Interesting that 
that committee from the North American Division made a conclusion, a very significant conclusion. She says, when we look at what our church is doing, we have two, not four like the Catholics, but two major ways to interpret scripture. So, what is that? The historical grammatical approach and that is what they feel the, 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 the main method is. And then the principle-based reading method. So here you have the two things. And the North American Division Committee says the historical grammatical method deals with the plain, natural, and literal meaning of the words. What about the principle-based reading method, which they recommend? It is the principle trajectory of the scripture accounted for. What is the tra tra trajectory? It's the way that the scriptures flow. What is the destiny of the scriptures? What is the purpose of the scriptures? So the principle and trajectory of scriptures that they deal with. And then they stated clearly, those who use the grammatical historical method, this is preferred by opponents of women's ordination. What about the other ones? Preferred by proponents of women's ordination. So why did the North American committee feels that the second method is also a method? Because if you use the second method, it favors women's ordination. And they favor women's ordination. So why not use that method? So the question is, you know, what is, is not confusing? Diametrically opposed are those things. They're not in harmony. No. Now let us see here how they consider the historical grammatical method. It focuses on the plain, natural, and literal meaning of the text. It's also called the common sense approach. It usually avoids using extra biblical sources and uses the Bible and the Bible only as the only source, sola scriptura, to interpret the text. And that is what we have been doing for some time, for many years. It assumes that Bible is inerrant, without mistakes, not only in salvation and theology, but also in science and history. You can trust the Bible even in the matters of science and history. Conclusion. With this plain, literal approach to the Bible, the ordination of women is not possible unless there is a clear biblical mandate. See? Unless you have a clear mandate, don't do it. Because it affects every church in the world. So doctrine and practice. So now, what about the principle-based reading method? It includes, quote, principle-based, contextual, linguistic, and historical cultural reading strategies at the heart of their biblical approach. 
It involves the use of non-biblical sources. This approach consequently sees most of the so-called controversial passages about women ordination in the context of family relationships and in some, as some emphasize, a two-way submission. So if it is not the woman submits to the wife, but also the husband submits to the woman. This is a two-way street, a reciprocal leadership thing. And then when it talks about women and men and whatever, it has nothing to do with the church, but it's only within the home. So it confines all those statements to the home situation or mutual submission. And that is, that is with all the controversial passages. <coughs> with the use of this approach, no conclusive evidence prohibiting the ordination of women can be found in the Bible. So they said, you know, yes, it talks about the ordination of men, but where does it state you cannot ordain women? It doesn't state it. So therefore we can go ahead. Which methods should we use? The NAD committee says, both methods within the broad range of what the Methodist of Bible study document approves for the Adventist church. So both methods fit. They're all there together. So you can either use this or that. Now how should we use it then? A plain read and literal reading strategy would be sufficient to understand most of the Bible. So the historical grammatical method is the best for most of the Bible. But there are exceptions. And that has to do with the text of women ordination. <coughs> Yet the committee believes that there are occasions when we should imply principle-based reading because the passage calls for an understanding of the historical and contextual setting. So we need to, they, they are not as easy to be understood. And then you use the second method. Now the question here is, the text determines which method, that's what they say, quote, the text determines which method may be more appropriate for interpretation. Now the question is, who determines which text should be dealt with? Text says this, or the reader. To me it may be very plain, but to somebody else may, it may not be plain. So if the text is not plain, then you use the other method. But to me, you don't need to use it. You see what the result is? Confusion. It takes away the certainty of the teachings. Which methods should we use? The NAD committee says, quote, the general rule of thumb is that when it comes, when two or more interpretations are claimed for a passage, 
the one that works with the information gathered should serve. So then you use the other one. How do those two methods compare? Let's take a practical example. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12 and 13. I suffer another woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man. Why? For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And more books and papers have been written on this text than you can imagine. So let us use now both methods. Example of how methods compare. Historical grammatical method, principle-based reading method. First, the historical grammatical method. <coughs> Paul explains the relationship between male and female before sin. That is very important. Before sin and shows that there was a difference in roles or functions before the fall. Because he says, Adam was created first. So he uses creation order before sin. What about the other methods? Paul addresses only a local situation in Ephesus. Before sin, there was a total equality in nature and functions. There was no difference whatsoever except biological. Adam and Eve were both rulers and priests. And were they priests? In the sanctuary of Eden. Paul again, with his historical grammatical method, he says, Adam was formed before Eve in the order of creation, and God designed him to be the leader. So are we allowing now Paul to interpret the situation 4,000 years earlier? Or do we have to follow Scholars today who interpret the situation 6,000 years earlier. What Paul, what the principle-based method says, Paul opposes the Gnostic heresy associated with the goddess Diana. Remember Diana of the Ephesians. And that heresy was that the woman was created first. And so Paul tries to amended situation. And so the implications are local only for Ephesus, Ephesus to fight a heresy. Now where do we find that heresy? You can look at all the literature but there is no study that has ever shown that when Paul was there in the church that this concept of woman was created first, existed in, in Ephesus. In fact, you have to wait 100 years to the end of the second century where you find this Gnostic heresy, but not in the time of Paul. And there is nothing in Timothy that says Paul is addressing a heresy. He only tries to shape order in the Ephesus church because as it was in the beginning. The woman should know the place. That's what he says. Is his comment inspired? 
or not? Or can the prophets and apostles of the Bible not interpret the Bible itself? I tell you, if I face Jesus in the judgment, I can say, hey, Jesus, I, I followed Paul. I followed Jeremiah. I followed Jude. I followed Mark. That's our basis, friend. The Bible and the Bible only. So this is now how the methods work. You see? Simple. Evaluating of the methods of Bible study document. So now we take each of the interpretation methods and compare it with the eight, 1989 document that is recommended for our church. The issue is how can two opposing methods of interpretation lead, leading to opposite conclusions on women ordination be approved by the Seventh-day Adventist Standard Document for Biblical Interpretation? How can it be? Two methods, two opposing conclusions and supported by the document that says the Bible and the Bible only. So let's continue. Here you see the op opposites. <coughs> the issue is who becomes the ultimate decider of which interpretation to use in a given passage? How, how, how do we determine that? The Bible is no longer the arbiter. The human being is a human. So we determine what should be done. And therefore the Bible is not over us, but we are over the Bible. So who? Let's look at the grammatical method, the historical method, and the Methodist methods of Bible study document. The historical grammatical method upholds the Bible as the supreme standard and authority for truth. And we are very comfortable with that. The methods of Bible study document claims that the Bible is, quote, clear, infallible revelation of God's will and his salvation. The Bible is the word of God and it alone is the standard by which all teachings and experiences must be tested. End quote. The conclusion is therefore everything needs to be, to be tested by the Bible. This means that a document is in full harmony with the historical grammatical method that the Bible is the final authority to determine what is the truth on women ordination. And in all other issues about creation, evolution, worship, music, all of those things, homosexuality, Here are some things, insights from the spirit of prophecy about the value of the Bible on solving controversies. What is that? During the 1888, during 1888, when Adventists were involved in major controversies, Ellen White emphatically stated, quote, it is the word of the living God that is to decide all controversies, end quote. She explains, quote, The word of God is the great detector of error. To it we believe everything must be brought. The Bible must be our standard for every doctrine 
and practice. We must study it reverentially. This is the 1888 materials, pages 44 and 45. So you can see here how valuable it is because this is to decide what? All controversies, including women ordination. Again, what is the value? The spirit of prophecy considers the Bible the only truly objective authority of history. Ellen White says that, quote, here only can we find a history of our race unsullied by human prejudice or human pride, end quote. So whatever Paul writes, Peter writes, the Old Testament, they are not contaminated by pride, by prejudice. Oh yes, you know, Paul was a women hater. Or, you know, he had no respect for women. That doesn't fit into this matter. It's each text is there without prejudice and without pride. It is an objective evaluation. Value of Bible. She continues, the Bible lights up the far distant past where human research seeks vainly to penetrate. No matter what scholars do, they are simply speculating about it. And then here, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 596. You find it all. So the Bible judges non-biblical research. All the scholarly world is being judged by the Bible. And not those sources judging the Bible. Conclusion. The Bible is the best source to evaluate and judge the validity of all extra-biblical sources. The historical grammatical method precisely uses this principle. Yes, that method studies also all the sources outside. But when it comes by accepting this, we use the Bible. Now let us, re let us evaluate the principle-based methods and the document methods of Bible study. The principle-based method includes principle-based contextual, linguistic, and historical cultural reading of the strategies at the heart of their biblical approach. This method includes the use of non-biblical sources. There's nothing wrong. How do you evaluate those? The methods of Bible study also recommend that Bible students, in connection with the study of the biblical text, explore the historical and cultural factors. Archaeology, anthropology, and history may contribute to understanding the meaning of the text. End quote. Yet, this document clearly states that the Bible is the final judge over those non-biblical sources. You keep that in mind. <coughs> the conclusion... The principle-based contextual approach uses the non-biblical findings. However, it neglects the Bible methods of Bible study stipulation that the Bible is the standard by which the correctness of these sources are to be judged. Consequently, the text is interpreted 
by conclusions of non-biblical sources that allows rooms for reading the text in support of a women ordination interpretation. And if he has a division, feels that women should be ordained, what methods are you going to use? In the difficult texts. And what are the difficult texts? Any text dealing with the women ordination. Or man's leadership. See how it is here? And that is the reason why they developed this principle-based reading. But many of our people don't understand this and get confused. It says, yeah, you know, here you have this document and you can do anything. You can be for ordination, against ordination. It's all okay. No, friends. Conclusions on the two methods of interpretation. It is impossible that both the historical grammatical method and the principle-based methods are in harmony with, quote, the methods of Bible study document. Because their conclusions are diametrically opposed. Only the historical grammatical method is in harmony with the methods of Bible study. Because it is guided by the Bible and the Bible only. Making the Bible the final authority and judge of all sources outside of the Bible. Then another aspect of interpretation of the Bible is interpreted, is called the redemptive movement interpretation. Now what is that? Sounds good. Is the text for then, in the past, or for now? And this method of interpretation is the key. Redemptive movement. It is necessary, quote, this is the, uh, the NAD Tosk uh, representative says, it is necessary to find a set of principles to distinguish that which is transcultural from that which is cultural because the Bible is written in a particular space and time. It's culturally condi conditioned. And so some things are valid throughout the Bible and into the future. Others are only limited. <coughs> and so here then, this means that we have to find out what, quote, what component of the biblical text have ongoing practical significance and what components are limited in application to the original audience. Then and now. Discovering this distinction can be done by adopting a redemptive movement hermeneutic that is based on the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That sounds beautiful. It's Christ-centered. So how does it work in practicality? Back to creation interpretation. At creation, that is the assumption that they have, Men and women experience a total equality of nature and function or role. Adam and Eve were both rulers, both priests in the sanctuary in Eden. So that's a total equality. At the fall, 
women were brought into a temporary submission to men that was only to last till Christ. So it's only in the Old Testament. But now when Christ came, he gave a full redemption. And what does it mean? Because of the redemption through Jesus Christ, this Edenic equality of nature, function, and role was now fully restored as described in Galatians 3.28. Then, men and women are to function as spiritual leaders, elders, ministers, and pastors in the church. Their relationship is now re reciprocal, which means there is now a multi mutual submission, and not anymore one party to the other. Paul's statement of male headship and he talks about this, and creation order are limited to local situation and have no universal application whatsoever. So there it ended. Now it took us about 2,000 years now to catch up. And it was the feminist movement that brought us now clearly enlightenment that now we are completely free, equal, and we don't need to submit anymore. Back to Eden. You see, you go back to creation. But if that assumption of total equality is incorrect, the whole method falls apart. So what are you going to do? Are you going to use this method? Or are you going to use Paul's method? Very simple. Back to creation. This approach looks for the redemptive spirit or trajectory in the text to discern what still applies today. God moves his people to the fullest realization of his will for them. That is what is more righteous, equitable, loving and just. It is called the creation, fall, recreation, back to creation, hermeneutic or interpretation. So every text that you interpret in regard to Given ordination, you have to ask yourself the also the question, is this relation between male and female, is it more righteous, equitable, loving, and just? And that depends on what culture you live. Very simple. And our culture is now on total equality, and that's what we have to use. From the perspective of the back to creation interpretation of the Bible, Galatians 3.28 is vital. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there a male or female, for you are all one in Christ. This text shows how the gospel calls us back to the divine ideal in creation, which has no place for the general subordination of females to male. So, therefore, if you want to do it, use the principle method. It seems as if the historical grammatical method doesn't use principles. Sure, we have to use the principles, but principles in harmony with the Bible. Evaluation of the back-to-creation approach. This approach to the text is based 
on the presupposition that there in the Bible is a trajectory, a movement of progression in the experience of humans from Eden to Eden, restored based on God's plan of salvation. This trajectory is taken as the key to interpretation of biblical text to support the view of full equality between male and female, such as Adam and Eve functioned as priests before and after the fall. Full equality. The incorrect assumption is that before the fall, that the relationship between Adam and Eve was not of a nature to complement each other, but that was of total equality in nature and no distinction in functions or roles. This departure of the divine headship role and leadership role of the man before the fall, as Paul taught in the New Testament, it shows again a misuse of the biblical text in support of an agenda, in support of women's ordination. And so we always in the past have believed that male and female complement each other, not compete with each other, fill each other in the needs. But this is what is, has been rejected. Now the question is, will the SDA leadership find unity in these positions? As a result of the task, every party has now been more firmly put its stake in the ground than before. Before it says, oh, women's is only a matter of policy. But after the study of two years, we all now agree it needs to be based on the Bible. And each position is based on the Bible. As long as it's being based on the Bible, and yet they are in conflict, there is no unity possible, friends. No unity. You hope, you know, just be quiet about it. But everybody has put their stakes in. It's in the Bible. And then you cannot compromise. So here, both sides claim support of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy for their interpretations. How can there be a unity when the positions on women ordination are diametrically opposed? I mean, use, use common sense. Unity is only possible when we accept the position that all our teachings are based on the Bible and the Bible only. That is the only way that unity can be accomplished. And the more our leaders will realize that this is the key, you will have a continual fight on your hand. And churches are split. Because when church members see this, they also dig in. And we hope that they dig in on the Bible and the Bible only. Because that has been recommended. What will be the outcome of the controversy? Here is a vision from Ellen Wright. In the vision I saw two armies in terrible conflict. One army was led by the banners bearing the work, world's uh, insignia, the others by the bloodstained banner of Prince Emmanuel. Standard after standard was left to trail in the dust as company after company from the Lord's army joined the foe 
but tribe after tribe from the ranks of the enemy united with the commandments of peeping people of God praise the Lord you see here company after company against tribe after tribe that is quite a difference where do those tribes come from from the true followers in Babylon the true followers of God Elamite continues here <coughs> notwithstanding the spiritual darkness and alienation from God that rests in the churches which constitute Babylon the great body of Christ true followers are still to be found in their communion not a few are dissatisfied with the present condition and are longing for clearer light they look in vain for the image of Christ in the churches with which they are connected end quote great controversy 390 you see this women ordination controversy has affected every church has split many churches and people who are want to follow the Bible the Bible only have separated from those churches and what do they do they look now for people communities and churches that go by the Bible and the Bible only so you can see here how important it is that do they see in our church the image of Christ based on the Bible if they see it they will join because their churches have apostatized and you know all those churches who have accepted women or the nation according to statistical studies went down in giving and membership they lost thousands upon thousands of people and so our witness about the Bible and the Bible only and the truth is this in Jesus is the great attraction for God's people in Babylon do you get the point? that is very very important and so that is what it is the Bible and the Bible only what is now the SDA position on the Bible? Well, according to the latest information of the spirit of prophecy quote in our time there is a wide departure from there the reformers doctrines and precepts and there is a need of a return to the great Protestant principle the Bible and the Bible only as the rule of faith and duty so she calls upon us to uphold this quote the same unswerving adherence to the word of God manifested at that crisis of the reformation is the only hope of reform today end quote great controversy pages 204 and 205 you see how important it is that we should be clearly demonstrating that we are the continuity of the reformation and that this is the bridge to all our Protestant friends and relatives why didn't why Tosk didn't solve the crisis the delegates could you not unite because of their different views of inspiration and methods of biblical interpretation that's the division all delegates were convinced that the position of women's ordination is based on the Bible and spirit of prophecy they were convinced about it 
The world church uses the historical grammatical method that takes the Bible as its final arbiter of its doctrine. This method shows that the principle-based method misinterprets the Bible. Very, very clear. The only way to solve the crisis, to unite, is to unite on the same methods of interpreting the Bible. That is the only way that will solve the controversy in Christ on the church. Are we willing to make the sacrifice? Far-reaching effects of different methods of interpretation. And this, you know, is far-reaching. Women's ordination is but a mere example of how the church is divided to biblical interpretation. There are many, many other issues. Shades of evolutionary theories affect some. It affects our churches, our schools, and other things. The LGBTQ questions lurk on the horizon. There are people that want to use the same principles of interpretation, the principle-based hermeneutics, to push this. And if we have seen the disastrous results in other churches. Music and worship have divided us. Discussions on the, on the gospel, justification, sanctification, perfection, and victory over sin during the final generation are all focused on the roots in differences in biblical interpretation and not following the counsel of the spirit of prophecy. And so friends, we, God, will have a people no matter what you see around you. Quote, but God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrine and the basis of all reforms. Before accepting any doctrine or precepts, we should demand and plain, thus says the Lord in its support. Great Controversy 595. And so you can see here what a grandiose hope for us. We don't need to be disappointed about the crisis around us. We should only be disappointed if we don't see our mission. But friends, with this information, sharing it with neighbors, friends, relatives, and whatever, we can get a revival in our church, and we can build our churches stronger and more powerful. Because don't think that if we adopt women's ordination, that our churches become more solid and conservative, but more liberal. Do you think that we will attract more of the other churches because of our teachings then? No. Because most churches consider this, the Sabbath as a relic, the past. We don't need to do it. And churches that do foot washing with the Lord's Supper, that's crazy. See? No, friends, if they see what the Bible and the Bible only is, that will be the key. Here is God's people. Here is God's prophetic remnant. And with an understanding of the prophecy, they will join us. And so, friends, may the God help us to do this. And your task is not over. You write to your leaders. You try to approach them. And says, we have to come back to the Bible and the Bible only. 
and we have to come back to a unity in prophetic interpretation and biblical interpretation. And may God help you. But if you just say, okay, now that was nice information, and you go on, you will not contribute to the prosperity of God's church. And may God help you with this. Now, all this material, where do I get it? Simply on the internet. Simply on the internet. Here we get Adventist News Network. Methods of Bible study document. It is there. Uh, the hermeneutics of the North American Division. It's all there. And all the articles. And also people who disagree with this document. And those were produced in 2013. And we don't know. Five years ago. Friends, read them, studying it, and apply it to your own life. Let's pray and ask God to bless us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much by giving us this marvelous insight in your word and how powerful is your word is and that this word is the only remedy for our church. And the only way that, we can bring a that the Holy Spirit can bring a revival and a reformation. Oh, Father, help us to share this good message that you have given us with 99.9% .9 of the world who doesn't even know what Adventism is. And we are trying to fight among ourselves. Oh, Father, help us to give a vision how to, we can implement this marvelous light to the world. And may our message will be a message of hope and rescue of God's people during the loud cry and the latter rain. And may we not be left out in the latter rain, but may we be an instrument in your hands, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.